ESPN is making its long-awaited move into sports betting with direct consequences for at least three companies. Plus, we have a fun interview on esports in the Olympics later in the episode. It's Wednesday, August 9th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. ESPN is getting into sports betting after striking a deal with Penn Entertainment. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports writer Doug Greenberg. Welcome, Doug. Hey, thanks, Owen. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, man, my day was super relaxing until about 30 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, so this news is hot off the presses. You can't even touch it yet. Um, what's Just give me your, your top line reaction. Okay, so the story for anyone who hasn't heard at this point is um, ES- there had been rumblings, actually. We had been talking about this earlier this week, that ESPN was maybe going to get into the sportsbook game. Um, we had been talking with, or we had noticed, actually, that they had established a couple of Twitter handles, uh, Instagram handles. Um, so there had been rumblings that this was maybe going to happen pretty soon. Then on Tuesday, ESPN announces that they are launching what they're calling ESPN Bet in conjunction with Penn Entertainment. That's all well and good. All sounds great. Um, it got us thinking like, well, wait, what does that mean for Barstool Sportsbook? Because Barstool Sportsbook is owned by Penn Entertainment. Well, not anymore. Because at the very bottom of the press release, it said Barstool Sportsbook will be rebranded as ESPN Bet in the fall. And then Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports did his emergency press conference and said, hey, I have bought back all of Barstool Sports from Penn Entertainment. So... Lots of twists and turns uh, in this story already. Um, And like I said, it has been out for just an hour or so. Um, And it's that's that's sort of like the top line of this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, the irony for me in in all this is that ESPN had been tiptoeing around sports betting, even though it might be the most obvious brand to be in on sports betting because, you know, they're owned by Disney. They want to be family friendly, et cetera, et cetera. And and Jimmy Pitaro, the head of ESPN, has said, you know, actually, uh, our our fans don't seem to care too much. They seem to separate out ESPN from Disney, but they've still been very cautious around this. And now they have to be in the same press release as Barstool, which is – a brand with a certain reputation that is very, very not family friendly. Um, you know, obviously they're not actually doing business with Barstool, but there's it's still all kind of in the same big pile. You know, it's interesting, too, because if you recall, um, ESPN and Barstool had actually had a partnership a few years ago. Um, they launched they had a Barstool Van Talk, which was essentially a TV version of Pardon My Take. It lasted two episodes until it got before it got canceled. There was <laughs> there was a lot of uh, uh, blowback on that. Um, so ESPN and Barstool's relationship has been extremely strained, which is why I thought it was so strange when I saw ESPN and Penn Entertainment were in business together. I was like, well, this is very odd. And then it turns out that Portnoy just bought Barstool back. So now, you know, Barstool, Penn are completely done with each other. Um, and now Penn is in with ESPN. And, and to your point, you know, ESPN, as you said, has they've been tiptoeing around this for a long time. Um, you know, Pitaro's, you know, tune sort of changed a little bit when he was uh, in the in the press release. He basically said, you know, we know that sports fans have been wanting this for a while. We want to provide, you know, the least amount of friction possible with our products. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's weird because in a lot of ways, this has been a very logical move 
for ESPN, but it's still kind of shocking the way it came about. It wasn't unexpected, but it was a bit shocking, I guess is the best way of putting it. Yeah. And, and also just to like, you know, paint as much of this picture as we can from what we know. And again, this news is very, very new. What do we know about how betting is going to be integrated into everything ESPN offers? So what we do know is that, as I said, uh, it's ESPN bet is going to be a standalone app. It's going to be like DraftKings. It's going to be like FanDuel, um, Caesars, whatever. It's going to be like any one of those. And, you know, it's effectively going to be Barstool Sportsbook. They're just going to take all of the, um, as I understand it, they're going to take all of the infrastructure that already exists for Barstool Sportsbook and just rebrand everything as ESPN. Um, So there's that. And then... Uh, you know, according just I'm just going off the press release uh, just from what we've gotten. But, you know, Penn is now going to or ESPN bet is going to be ESPN's exclusive sports book. Um, in a sense, that means that they're not in, in, in theory. It means that they're not going to be partnering with any other sports books. The ones that I just mentioned, um, even though they have some deals with other ones, which is interesting because we were I was actually just talking about that with AJ Perez today. Uh, we were talking about ESPN's deals with Caesar and DraftKings, but I, I digress. Um And, you know, they talk about having promotional services, digital product integrations, traditional media, content integration. So think like I'm guessing on ESPN broadcasts, whether it's SportsCenter, whether it's, you know, Sunday Night Baseball, Monday Night Football. I'm sure you're going to be seeing a ton of ESPN bet starting this fall, just coming straight into your uh, TV screen and and calling your calling your action to this ESPN bet, which, like I said, is the skeleton of it is essentially just Barstool Sportsbook, um, just rebranded with ESPN. ESPN, as we know from from previous reports, wants to also be the hub of sports streaming. And while it's not necessarily easy to, you have to, you need a second screen to place a bet if you're watching on TV. You can imagine a world where you're just watching a game on ESPN Plus, and there's there's a button somewhere on the scene on on the same screen, one screen, where you can also place a bet on that game that might run into regulatory stuff. I'm sure there's other details that complicate that, but I have to imagine they are looking toward a future with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Uh, you know, I think there are actually book- books that have done something similar before. Um, for example, I think you can watch some games um, on on Bet Rivers, which is, you know, one of the smaller sports books. It's it's They have it in the Chicago area where I'm based, um, so I know a little bit about it. Um, but I would not be surprised to see that come into play. And it's interesting you bring up the regulatory stuff because I actually was chatting with one of my betting media friends. Um, and he was basically saying that ESPN is not going to be in charge of the regulatory stuff at all. They're basically just handing that off to Penn. Um, they're, they're essentially just licensing their name to Penn and Penn obviously has the experience of dealing with this stuff. So they're going to handle all the regulatory stuff. And frankly, like who knows how much regulatory stuff they're actually going to have to do, um, you know, when it comes to just changing the name, right, from Barstool Sportsbook to ESPN Bet, and and let me also, you know, you know, I don't want to get away from the fact too that there's um, Hollywood Casino, for example, uh, is is another Penn property, and I think there's going to be a lot of ESPN integration into those as well. So, uh, you know, ESPN, this is one thing that, you know, we want to make very clear is that ESPN is not launching a sports book per se. They are pretty much just taking over the sports betting infrastructure that Penn Entertainment is already providing and is already out in the world. Yeah. And so the, just to, sorry, 
I mean, just details of the deal. Penn's paying $1.5 billion over 10 years to have the name, plus ESPN is going to get another $500 million in warrants to purchase stock in Penn, um, which honestly was I, I've not maybe even a small number given the strength of the ESPN brand. Um, but, uh, but clearly this is the deal they wanted because I'm sure they had their pick of, uh, you know, of, of sports books that would want to work with them. DraftKings and FanDuel, I think are pretty well established. Everyone else I think would, would want ESPN attached. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, like, like it's been a long, we've been talking about it. It's been a long time coming. Um, people have been searching for ESPN, you know, like them or not, uh, say what you whatever you will about ESPN, but they are still the go-to name in in sports media right now. Um, so it's it would make sense given every, everyone else how everyone else has been getting in. Now, granted, Fox tried to get in on sports betting, right? And we just saw this past week that that failed. Um, you know, they officially fought this, uh, uh, shut down Fox Bet, but at, you know, ESPN between its brand name between the existing infrastructure that it's already going to have from Penn, you know, it seems like it would be a much better bet eh, to survive. (laughs) All right. We'll leave it at that. Doug Greenberg, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Owen. I'll uh, keep you posted. Up next, I spoke to the International Olympic Committee Sports Director, Kit McConnell, about how the Olympics are finding ways to include esports. We're not yet at the point of seeing video games alongside swimming or skiing at the summer or winter games, but the IOC knows that this is a form of competition that is one of the most popular among younger demographics, and they want to make a space for it. That conversation is next. I'm joined now by Kit McConnell, IOC Sports Director. Welcome, Kit. Thanks very much, Owen. Great to be with you. Yeah, great to have you. So today we're talking about esports in the Olympics. So first of all, what is the status of, of esports in the Olympics? Yeah, well, we've been uh, we've obviously been watching the developments of technology, the ever growing popularity of esports and, and online gaming. And uh, I think, as everyone knows, you know that the sports titles within esport are still a very small part of the overall landscape, but very popular. Uh, and over time, as the games have developed, become ever more popular. So we've seen the developments of the technology. We've seen the growing esport and gaming communities. So we, uh, over the last few years, have explored that. We took our first step into that space with the Olympic Virtual Series, which was fully online in 2021 with five sport-related titles. And obviously, that was in a COVID-adapted environment, fully online. And this year, we've taken another step forward with having uh, 10 games included in the Olympic eSports Series, all sport-related titles, and not only uh, an online qualification process that had over half a million people involved, but brought together the physical finalists for a weekend in Singapore, uh, which was an incredible weekend of competition, of exhibition of other sport-related titles and, and technologies, and a lot of discussion between the Olympic and the eSport communities about how we can move forward from there as well. So a really important step, fully Olympic-branded, Olympic eSports series, Olympic eSport festival. So a really successful engagement, one we hope to to build on moving forward. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. What kinds of competitions are, are people participating in for this? Yeah, so being the, the the IOC and the Olympic movement, our focus is very much on sport. So uh, all of the titles we had in the competition side were sport-related. The 10 we had in Singapore were uh, a number of Olympic sports, but also some that are recognized and not yet in the Olympic program. So we had archery, we had a baseball game, we had chess, 
We had uh, cycling, which was a full physical replication of road cycling with uh, the UCI, the International Federation, and SWIFT. We had dance sport, uh, replicating the introduction of breaking or break dancing into the Olympic Games in Paris next year. We had sailing, uh, shooting, uh, a variation of Fortnite, which was a really successful partnership with a huge online game there as well. Uh, tennis, taekwondo using virtual simulators, and motorsport using Gran Turismo. Yeah, and I'm sure you know some of our listeners have all sorts of questions going through their heads right now. But to start, if you're doing things like tennis and taekwondo, uh, why not just do the actual sports instead of the esport version? Yeah, we're not asking people to choose. And obviously, uh, you know, a lot of young gamers are involved in sport and a lot of Olympic athletes are also involved in gaming. So we don't see the two being mutually exclusive or having to choose between one or the other. And from the types of sports uh, we've got in the Olympic eSports Series, some of them are fully physical, uh, the cycling being one, the, the breaking, the dancing being another Taekwondo being a physical one based on two athletes fighting using sensors. Others were mobile-based, like tennis. Uh, Gran Turismo and, and the motor racing was a simulator, but a full simulation game, if you like, with the, the, the drivers in the cockpits on the stage. So it's a real mix between the two. And we hope by being involved in this space, promoting it with the Olympic branding, that we can have more young people involved in sporting uh, simul technology, electronic simulations of sport, but getting involved in sport itself, both in terms of following sport and engaged in physical sport. But again, we don't see it having to be a choice between the two. We think young people around the world can follow sport and be involved in esport and gaming. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, does having games based on Fortnite and based on Gran Turismo, does that open the door to, you know, essentially playing Fortnite in the Olympics? Yeah, well, I think uh, our focus is obviously on sport-related titles. As the Olympic movement, we are focused on the promotion of sport. Uh, so all of our, our games are with international federations that govern sport, but always with a, a partner uh, in the publishing world. So at the moment, our, our, uh, our competitions are based on the electronic versions of sport. We also had some exhibitions on-site in Singapore with Street Fighter and Rocket League. So uh, some of those non-sport-related titles, if you like. Anything we're involved with would have to reflect the Olympic values, which includes things like no personal violence, for example. Um, but in the competition side, we will keep our focus on the sport-related titles because that's where our focus is as the Olympic movement. Mm -hmm. And you, you referred to the Olympic series that you just had. Is that a step toward you know the full-on Olympics? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think we see the two as being separate at the moment. And uh, what we'd like to do with the Olympic eSports Series is look to make it an annual event with its own identity, its own culture, its own community around that. So we are looking to, to do the, a similar type of event later next year in the end of 2024 after the Games in Paris and then take it forward on an annual basis. In terms of the Olympic program, um, the door is open where it's, it's really a full physical replication of the sport itself. So you can imagine Swift and being a full physical replication of road cycling. That opportunity is there where it's governed by an international federation. But in terms of the other titles, we'd be looking to keep those with their specific identity in the next steps around the Olympic eSports series itself. And we think that's a great opportunity to give us annual presence, more games included, and reaching out to these communities on an annual basis. And just to get a step more basic, um, you know, when people can imagine a swimming race, they can imagine a cycling race. What does it look like uh, when people are com competing in esports? 
It looks remarkably similar with many sports, to be quite honest. And I think in uh, Singapore at the finals, what we saw in a number of the the instances where, uh, particularly around the the road cycling, uh, the Gran Turismo with the motor racing, even the Taekwondo with the simulators, you found yourself just watching it from a purely sports perspective. And in many ways, that as the technology continues to advance, I think you've probably all seen games like NBA 2K, NHL 2K with the advances in technology. So in a lot of cases, it's getting more and more similar to just seeing, uh, you know, just watching the sport for the sport's sake. Um, obviously, differences between games, as you can imagine, but uh, with the level that the, these players are playing at, uh, you really uh, start to just immerse yourself in a sporting experience, although it's very much a technology-based one. Yeah, and yeah, I'm familiar enough with this space that I've you know come to think of esports players as athletes. But if you wouldn't mind trying to convince our listeners who may be listening to this and still thinking like, but they're playing a video game, that's not the same. Uh, how, are these people athletes? Yeah, look, this is again an interesting discussion, and I think over the years, the more we've looked into this, the more we see similarities between a lot of the elite esport players or athletes and elite sports people, the amount of physical preparation, mental preparation, teamwork, dedication that is needed to get to the top level in many of the esports games is very, very similar to the training patterns, the preparation patterns, the competition patterns, and the teamwork in some games that replicates very closely elite sport. Um, And we've seen this change over time. And it's interesting as well, because here, Around Singapore, we had a lot of discussions. We've got a lot of athlete support programs, you can imagine, in the Olympic movement, looking at everything from uh, gender equality through to mental health of athletes through to career transition after you finish as an elite athlete. And we think a lot of this we can also translate into the esport environment and, and put it the service of elite players and elite teams as well. And you've mentioned that Young people have really responded to this. What, broadly, what kind of response have you gotten f- through these esports series? Yeah, it's been really positive. And, and, and just maybe taking a step back, you talk about young people. When we had the, uh, the Olympic uh, Youth Olympic Games here in Lausanne in 2020, we did a survey of all the elite young winter sport athletes, and 80% of them were playing games, whether it's online esport, video gaming, mobile gaming. So the crossover between the two worlds is there. And as I say, young people... Most young people around the world are playing sport one way or another and are doing gaming one way or another. Um, now, coming back to, uh, to, to how we see the, the next steps in that and how we engage the success was really strong. I mentioned we had over half a million people involved in the online qualification. We're still working through the engagement numbers, but we had over 20,000 people over the three days at the finals, watching the athletes on the on the stages and engaging in a lot of the exhibitions. We've had engagement through our own platforms and the platforms of the publishers, uh, reaching millions of, of new audiences around the world and having them engage with an Olympic product, uh, in many cases, potentially for the first time. So those connection points are really important to us and, and building from this year, we, we see that only growing in the future. Yeah, and speaking of the future, how do you see all this progressing over the next few years? Yeah, I think it will continue to grow. We see the popularity of a lot of these titles, these sport-related gaming titles uh, growing. Uh, In the first online edition we had in 2021, we had five titles. This year we had 10. We had expressions of interest from a number of others and building on the success of this year, all of the federations, all of the sports, all of the game publishers involved are very keen to come back and look to expand on what we had this year. So we look to continue to grow. 
um, potentially in terms of the numbers of sports involved and the number of publishers and games involved and certainly looking to grow the audiences that we can reach through this uh, Olympic eSports series. Yeah, yeah, very interesting stuff. Kip McConnell, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks so much, Owen. That is it for today. Leave us a rating and review wherever you're tuning in. It will help other people find the show. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow.